you got your Bible this morning, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. And um, for those of you, even if you haven't been walking with the Lord very long, you would know that we are living in the final countdown. The clock is ticking. Each tick brings us closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And I've been reading a book that Janice gave me and actually went online yesterday. I'd encourage you to do this. Jimmy Evans does a great series called uh, The Tipping Point. You can go on YouTube and watch it. It's really, really good. It's a free series. won't cost you anything. But if you buy the book, that'll help you. But it's called The Tipping Point. And what he's talking about is prophetic um, signs that we are in. And listen, folks. There's really nothing left on the prophetic calendar that would prohibit the coming of the Lord, except one thing, the Father saying, it's time. Jesus said, of the times and seasons, no man knows, not even him, but the Father. The Father has an appointed time. There's that moment when God is going to say, it's time. And when he says, it's time, it's time, it will happen so fast. It says in 1 Corinthians, it'll be in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, that's faster than this. You ever seen the twinkle of an eye? My mother saw one one time, and that's how I'm here. The twinkling of an eye, just that, pew, that momentary, and it's going to happen so fast, the world will not be prepared for it. But you and I, as the people of God, must be prepared. We can't be like, you know, Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25. If you read Matthew 24, Jesus lays out what will be the signs of his coming. His disciples asked him the question. He answered the questions. He told them all of these things that would happen. Then in Matthew 25, he, he, he summarizes what it's going to be like on the day of judgment when he separates the sheep from the goats and, and the goat nations from the sheep nations and all of those things. And then he goes into an illustration about readiness. And it involved ten virgins. And it calls five of them wise and five of them fools. Now, the wise ones were wise because as they were waiting for the bridegroom to come, if we are the bride of Christ, who's the bridegroom? The Lord Himself. So we are either those foolish virgins or we are the wise virgins, it all depends on whether we have our lamps filled with oil. What is oil representative of in the Spirit? The Spirit. Oil. So if we have ourselves, if we stay full of the Spirit, that's why it tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, not to be drunk with wine as an, as an excess, but be filled. And there's a continuum in that word. It means be being filled. It's a constant with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and tells us to pray in the Spirit at all times for all Christians and all men and all places. So how can we do that if we're not filled with the Spirit? But in order to be one of those wise virgins, we must be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continual thing. Every day. That means we need to be in the presence of the Lord so that He can breathe upon us and fill us with the Holy Spirit every single day. It's a continuum. 
It's not like you can come once a week and get in the presence of God and get all that you need. It would be like coming in on a Sunday and going like this. <gasps> and wait till next week. <laughs> it just don't work, does it? It's not going to work. It's got to be a constant every day. And why do I tell you that? Because there were the five foolish virgins who were so lackadaisical about the coming of the bridegroom that they didn't even bother to keep their lamps trimmed or to keep oil in their lamps. What is involved in the trimming of a lamp? We cut away the burnt stuff and we raise the wick, you know? And so it requires maintenance in order to do that, keeping that lamp full of oil. And the five wise virgins kept their lamps full. The five foolish ones didn't. That's why they were foolish. It's foolishness not to. And, and the reason I bring that up is because we're living in that day, and I want you to see the passion inside of me about getting ready and being ready and staying ready. Jesus is coming, and he's coming for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. That means if you got wrinkles in your life, you need to get them out. If you got spots in it, you better let the blood of Jesus cleanse you. So here we are. And I'm going to read this. Of course, it's from the Passion Translation. I love that, that translation. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'll probably stop somewhere in the middle and make comments or whatever, so just hang on. Let me buckle yourself in. It says, Beloved friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you in which I've attempted to stir you up and awaken you in a proper mindset. Think about that for a minute. This is my attempt to tell you something important, tell you, you better wake up. So never forget both the prophecies spoken by the holy prophets of old and the teaching of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, spoken by all your apostles. And above all, what does that mean? It means this next sentence is one you should elevate in your thinking and think about seriously. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, mockers will multiply, chasing after their evil desires. Wow. Now, let's just pause there for just a minute. In the 60s, the 1960s, there was a radio personality by the name of Paul Harvey. Anybody ever heard of Paul Harvey? And Paul Harvey wrote an editorial and he said, if I were a communist and I wanted to take over America, this is how I would do it. I wouldn't do it with war and with bombs or any of those things. But what I would do is I would get into the education system and begin to change the way we educate our children. Wow. And that has happened, folks. When I was a kid, and you can, you know, I already told you my age, so you can understand it was a long time ago. But when I first started in school, every day it was practice that we would come in, and it was a ritual that we would go through. But they taught patriotism. They, thought, they, they taught respect and honor to God and country. We would come in, and we would have someone to lead us in the recitation of the Lord's Prayer. And after we had finished the recitation of the Lord's Prayer, 
Each one of us would have to stand, and guess what else we would do? Put our hand on our heart and pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Every single day that we were in school. And then we would be taught history as it was actually written. It wasn't changed at that time, but there's been revisionist history presented to our children that has villainized a lot of the heroes that we once knew that helped make this country a great country. I believe this is a great country. And I'm just rambling a little bit here. I mean, I can't help it. I'm a patriot. I love this country, and I thank God for it. A lot of people gave their blood to secure the freedoms that you and I have the privilege of enjoying. And there was one who gave his blood to secure our ultimate freedom. That was Jesus Christ himself. I want to give honor to him. But he was honored in the schools as well. But in 1963, there was a horrible thing that took place. One woman took it upon herself to challenge God in the public school system. She teamed up with some evil, demonic lawyers who took it to the Supreme Court and successfully, according to their standards, attempted to move God out of the public school, now the public arena. You see, this is almost prophetic as to what Paul Harvey was speaking about in the 60s in our education system. So they stripped away patriotism, they stripped away God and the concept of God, even creation itself. I remember it in the fifth grade when I saw my first time, for the first time, I saw the introduction to the classroom of the theory of evolution. Before that, we were always taught creation, that God created the heavens and the earth. You see how the enemy has worked and diluted the truth that held this country together, the Judeo-Christian principles that guided this country. Now, that being said, that has, is what has brought us to this point today, but there's no reason for you and I to fear because God said it would be that way in the last days, and if that's not a sign to your brain, if that's not something saying, danger, danger, (laughs) then something is wrong. You're not paying attention. And if you don't know the Lord, it is a endangerment. It is endangering your own soul to ignore what God has been saying to you, that I have established the heavens and the earth, and I have a timetable that my son made a visitation so that he could be your Savior. And as I, as I promised, when he went away, he's coming back just as you saw him go. And he's coming, and he's coming really, really soon. And here's one of the signs that Peter was pointing to. He said, there will be mockers who will multiply, chasing after their evil desires, and they will say... So what about his promise of his coming? What about this promise of his coming? Our ancestors are dead and buried, and yet everything is still the same as it was since the beginning of time until now. Well, just for your information, to tell you how smart God is, 
and how right on time he is. When Daniel was prophesying in Daniel chapter 11, when he had a visitation of Gabriel, when he saw a vision that God had laid out for him concerning the nation of Israel and how many weeks it would be when God would bring them out of their captivity captivity, and they would establish themselves again in Jerusalem. And from that point, 490 years until the coming of Christ, and up until the day that he was crucified, which historically and according to God's calendar happened on the exact day according to the Jewish calendar as God had prophesied through Daniel. That's how specific God is. Up until the very Day on the Day of Atonement, when Jesus was crucified and laid in a tomb, he became the Paschal Lamb. He became the Passover Lamb. So there would never be any need again for animal sacrifice because Jesus had sacrificed his own blood, and that was sufficient to cover the sins of all mankind for all eternity. You can say amen right there if you want to. So... The man has chosen to overlook this. But they conveniently overlook that from the beginning, the heavens and earth were created by God's Word. He spoke in the dry ground separated from the waters. Then long afterward, he destroyed the world with a tremendous flood by those waters. And now, by the same powerful Word, the heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for judgment when all the ungodly will perish. Ungodly are those who reject God. They're un-God. <laughs> Get it? So, dear friends, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day counts like a thousand years to the Lord Yahweh, and a thousand years counts as one day. So, if you wondered about God's timetable, why it hasn't happened, hey, it's only been a little over two days. This means... That contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with His promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather His delay simply reveals His loving patience toward you because He does not want any to perish but all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come and take everyone by surprise as unexpected as a home invasion. The atmosphere will be set on fire and vanished with a horrific roar, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as in a tremendous blaze. The earth and every activity of man will be laid bare. Since all these things are on the verge of being dismantled, don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? Let me park my truck right here for just a minute. Do you see how vital it is to live a holy life? What do I mean by that? The blood of Jesus Christ makes you holy. In other words, God hand-selects each one of you, and He did from the foundations of the earth, and the moment you accept what God did for you, He set you apart for His use. You became holy and set apart for God. That's what holy means. He set you apart. So we're in this world, but we're not of it. John said, if, 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 if we, we are here for a reason, God put us here, we're in this world, but we're not of it. And because we're here, we have a specific purpose. We're to be the salt and light to those around us. 
Everybody say, I'm an, I'm an alien. Don't freak out over that statement. Peter said that we're all stranger and aliens here. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't exactly fit in. I guess you've noticed that. The world doesn't necessarily like us. As a matter of fact, the world is beginning to hate us even more and more. The world calls evil good and calls good evil. I mean, they call killing babies a good thing and call protecting babies a bad thing. If we try to protect babies from being slaughtered by abortion, then we are tagged as being extremists. Well, pardon me, I'm an extremist. Because I believe in what the Word of God says. I will align with the Word of God every time. God hates murder. Thou shalt not kill. That's all I'm going to say about that. I might get shut down on Facebook if I say more. As we did last week. Sorry about that. Okay. Now here we go. Where was I? Talking about holiness. So, dear friends, okay, <laughs> chapter, verse 11, okay, thank you. Somebody was paying attention. The day of the Lord will come and take everyone by surprise as unexpected as a home invasion. The atmosphere will be set on fire and vanish with a horrific roar, and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt away as in a tremendous blaze. The earth and every activity of man will be laid bare. Since all these things are on the verge of being dismantled, don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? So we must be consumed with godliness. So whenever there's a pause, you read the book of Psalms, you'll see a word, Selah. And whenever you see that word, Selah, you know what it means? Pause and think about it. There ought to be one right here. We must be consumed with godliness while we anticipate and help to speed up the coming of the day of God when the atmosphere will be set on fire and the heavenly bodies consumed in a blaze. But as we wait, we trust in God's royal proclamation to be fulfilled. These are coming heavens new in quality. There are coming heavens new in quality and on earth a new quality where righteousness will be fully at home. Now, how can we hasten the coming of the Lord? Here's how. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. And this gospel shall be preached into all the world as a sign, and then shall the end come. Now, who's called to preach the gospel? Thank you. Each one of us are called to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you share it, realize that it's the gospel. It's good news. It's not bad news. So don't beat somebody over the head and tell them they're going to go to hell, go to hell, go to hell. And that's not the message. The message is that God didn't intend you to go to hell. Jesus died to keep you away from hell. Hell is real, absolutely. But God never intended it for you. God intended it for the devil and his angels, not for you. Jesus loves us, 
That's the message of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So it's not that we heap condemnation upon people and tell them how bad they are because we're all bad without Jesus. There's none righteous, as it said in Romans 3.10. No, not one. Not one. Not one of us can say, I'm righteous in myself. I'm a good person. Well, goody on you. That still doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I care how good you are. For it's not by works of righteousness that you are saved, but by His mercy alone He has saved us, Titus 3.6. It's what Jesus did, not what we do. It's by us accepting what Jesus did that makes the difference. That's what gets us ready. That's what gives us our entrance into heaven is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did, and we're saved. That's when we're born again by the Spirit of God. I had that conversation with a young man just the other day about being born again. Because he'd never heard the terminology of being born again. But it's the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 3, in verse 6, that you might ought to be born again. Is that what it says? A pretty good idea that you be born again. He said you must be born again. He said that which is flesh is flesh. Listen, no man is born of the flesh will inherit the kingdom. It's only those who are born of the Spirit of God. Born of the Spirit, and the, and the terminology there literally means the, 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 the impartation or implantation of the sperma of God into your spirit that brings life. That's what makes us born again. Nothing else. Not work by our own works. It's by, by grace alone that you're saved. That not of yourselves. It's not a works list any man should boast. Ephesians 3, 8, and 9. So I, I parked my truck on that for just a minute just so you will understand that we have to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And the only way that we can be prepared is having our hearts right with God. And having our hearts right with God means that we must be born again. Very soon, there's going to be an event that will shock every person on the planet. And a lot of people on earth are just moments, just moments ago will suddenly be gone that we see around us. If you don't know the Lord, I mean, even for those who know the Lord, you're going to be gone and they're going to be left. You know, there's three kinds of people in the world. There's some of those who wait for something to happen. And then there are those who make things happen. And then there are those who... Wonder what happened. And so you got to be proactive. You got to be one of those people that are not just wondering what's happening around you. You got to get involved in the process and understand that you have to do something. You got to make something happen. And God has already done his part, he sent his son to save you. And if you're not saved this morning, Stop fooling yourself. Stop fooling around and get yourself ready because Jesus is coming ready or not. He's not going to wait upon you. Though he's waiting right now. 
And that's the only reason he's waiting. And I'll continue on just a little bit with that, okay? First Thessalonians. There's an event called the rapture that's going to take place in First Thessalonians chapter 14, or chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them, the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Now there's a terminology we have in Christendom called the rapture. Anybody ever heard of it? And what that is in the Greek, and there are only two references of it that we see in the Bible. One of them is where um, Philip has baptized the Ethiopian, and it says, and he was caught up and transported. He was snatched up. And that's the word harpazo, which means to seize up or to catch up or to carry away. And we're going to be seized up, caught up, and carried away when the Lord descends with a shout and it's going to happen so fast that so many people are not going to be prepared for it. God is a God of grace and we're living in the, in the age of grace when God is being so gracious toward us. He's extending His grace toward us. But there is a time coming called the Great Tribulation which will happen after the rapture of the church when the people of God are caught up to meet him in the air there's going to be a time of tribulation horrors upon this earth and you can read about it in the book of Revelation it's stunning what's going to happen it's going to be so horrible that it says that men will hide themselves in the rock and they will call upon the rocks to fall upon them it's not going to be easy it's not going to be any party But right now, we're living in an age of grace when God wants His church to be ready for His coming. And the Bible tells us clearly that that He's coming again. It says, for unto them that look for Him will He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And he that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. Do you have this hope inside of you? Then now's the time for us to clean out the closets. Now's the time for us to do some spring cleaning in our lives, to examine ourselves and make sure that we are ready, that we're listening, we're waiting, that we're looking for Him because He's the ones that are looking for Him are the ones He's going to appear to. Don't be caught unaware. Don't be like the five foolish virgins who gave up the watch, who fell asleep, who went into a slumber, and they missed the party. Wow. We call this the blessed hope of the rapture of the church. Verse 14. So my beloved friends, with all that you have to look forward to, may you be eager to found living To be eager to be found living pure lives when you come into His presence without blemish and filled with peace. And keep in mind that our Lord's extraordinary patience simply means more opportunity for salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He consistently speaks of these things in all of his letters. Even though he writes some concepts that are overwhelming to our understanding. Which the unlearned and unstable love to twist into their spiritual ruin as they do to other scriptures. Remember, Peter was writing to the Jews, 
primarily. Paul was writing to the Gentiles primarily. And so the concepts that Paul was bringing to the Gentiles of grace and what Jesus had done was foreign to the Jewish mind because they had been brought up under the Torah, under the law. That's what they understood. It was salvation to them was by keeping the law. And now they had come into a new freedom. And sometimes it's hard for us, for us to let go of those things that we grew up with. It's just really foreign to us sometimes. I remember the first time. I mean, I grew up under legalism. And I remember the first time I saw a Christian with a beard. And I'd grown up under such legalism. I'm like, how can that be? That man's not saved. He's got a beard. Or a woman with earrings. Shouting and praising the Lord. I'm like, how can she do that? Because I was brought up under legalistic bondage. But those things were wrong. As a matter of fact, it was written in the code of conduct that I grew up in. If it was fun, it was sin. Seems like it anyway. But anyway, Jesus has set us free from the bondage to the law. But he gave us a principle to guide us concerning that. And that's Galatians 5.13. For you've been called unto freedom. Only use not your freedom as an occasion to serve your flesh, but by love serve one another. See, that's the law that Jesus gave us. He only gave us one commandment, but he guides all the other ones. All the other commandments are fulfilled in this. You know what it is? Beloved, let us love one another. Love one another. Even as I have loved you. That's his commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have that love for one another. So he's called us to that place of loving and growing in him. And we're called to grow up in the grace of God. Peter isn't saying that God has given himself one more time or more. Time for salvation for those around us. He's given himself time for that, but he's giving us time to reach out to those that are lost. So if you want your loved ones in heaven with you, then tell them about Jesus, pray for them, and love them into the kingdom. Listen, we don't have much time. We don't have much time. I'm just telling you that. So if you've been praying for one of your loved ones and you've been thinking about maybe giving them a call or a visit, or if you've had some bitterness that you've been harboring in your heart against somebody that in your family, somebody you love, or maybe they offended you, and maybe you have a right to be offended or something. Get over yourself, lay aside that right to be offended and forgive, even as God in Christ forgave you, and go to them. Jesus tells us if you have aught with someone, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you happen to remember that you have aught with someone our responsibility is to go to that one and restore that person in the spirit of love, right? And he said, if you go to them and they don't hear you, then take somebody else with you, a witness, and go to them and talk to them. And if they still don't hear you, then take with you an elder. <laughs> Have somebody that knows the Lord, has been walking with the Lord for a long time, and go and encounter this. In other words, he's saying it takes some work sometimes to get it right, but take the time to get it right because it's important. Relationships are important because that person is valuable to God. And we might be the very person that's keeping them from opening up their hearts and giving their life to Jesus.
We have a responsibility and an obligation to reach those around us. God is giving us time, and you know why? 2 Peter 3.9 says that he's doing it because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves every person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover their sin as much as it was yours. And so it's our responsibility to reach out to them. So if you've got family members and God puts them on your mind, or puts them on your heart, call them. Ask them if you can pray with them. That's a good place. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.